everyone, and welcome to episode number 249 of The Freelancer Show. On our panel this week, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And Philip Morgan. Hi there. And I'm Ruben Lerner, and we are going to speak this week about choosing content marketing topics. Um, so before we talk about that, maybe we should talk a little about what content marketing is, just to make sure everyone's up to speed on that. So what is content marketing? Philip. <laughs> it's everything. <laughs> I mean, really, I never get that down. Yeah. you can think about it broadly, which I do. So there's stuff like, you know, writing blog posts. I, I think for most people that was kind of the OG form of content marketing. <laughs> there's uh, giving talks. There's, I mean, I think of podcast guesting as content marketing. So I mean, there's just not much that's not content marketing. Um, I think this was probably back in more in the nineties, maybe even the eighties. I don't know when this was, <laughs> you would go to, um, I think it was shell gas if you in buy gasoline and they had these free, um, brochures they would give you on stuff like prolonging the longevity of your, your engine in your car. Like that's content marketing. Um, I think we can say content marketing is not um, advertising, I guess, but yet there's a tremendous Venn diagram overlap between most content marketing and content and, and something that's meant to function as an advertisement. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to like really crisply define it, but the general idea with content marketing is that you're creating something that you hope has value that's, I mean, this is from a the perspective of the principles behind it. It works this way. You create free value. People seek that out on the merits of the content itself. And then you accidentally uh, make a sale as a result of that content. That's kind of the, the, the idea behind content marketing. Are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development? Have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreaks. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. And then you accidentally uh, make a sale as a result of that content. That's kind of the, the, the idea behind content marketing. Yeah, so I've always sort of, I mean, first of all, I always used to mix up sales and marketing all the time. And I now understand at least a bit better that sales are, I will sell you X and you will give me money for it. Right? I will, I will, I will give you X in exchange for your money. And marketing is more like, I want to demonstrate that I'm really great at what I do so that when it comes time to do the sale, it'll be an easier one, an, an easier case. Cause you'll be like, Oh, of course I'm going to pay this guy because he is the best ever. And I want to give him all my money or so I hope my clients will think about me. So I guess it's like, you know, right. I mean, so all these blog posts I write and email courses I do and so on and so forth, I see as um, improving my authority so that the sale will be easier. So that that's sort of been my take on content marketing, which means it can be basically anything. I mean, it can be like blog posts, email courses, um, speaking at conferences. Well, I guess, would, would you consider speaking at conferences to be content marketing? I would. There's this sort of weird overlap. Like if you think about 
um, television advertising. Most of us think of that as advertising, but then the Super Bowl happens and you have these companies who've expended a lot of money and creative energy to try to create almost, uh, in some cases, little miniature movies, right? These um, Super Bowl commercials, the bar is really high for how entertaining they are or how memorable they are or, or how cleverable, clever they are. That starts to look a lot like content marketing. It's just very, very costly to produce. That's why, and not to try to you know deflect any questions about it, it's just kind of, um, <laughs> it's just kind of a weird, squishy thing to define. Um, I mean, there's content market. The original appeal of content marketing was the, uh, the investment to create it was somebody's time and energy. It wasn't something where you had to pay to get a placement, right? So you would publish it on your own site. Google would index it or other search engines would index it. People would find it. And that, that would connect you somehow with someone who could become a lead or was a potential client. That was, I, I suppose, the, the kind of original thing that made content marketing so attractive was is if you were reasonably good at it and your time wasn't that valuable, you got an amazing return on investment for doing content marketing, right? Because uh, you weren't having to pay any middleman to get the message out there. You were just having to create content that Google indexed and, and people found. And so we, a lot of people viewed it as free, even though there, there are those costs because believe me, time is not free. And, you know, getting up the energy to do a really great job of writing something is not free. It takes away from something else, but still it, it kind of got this reputation as like a thing that scrappy upstarts and people without much of a marketing budget could use to gain attention for their services or products. So, um, yeah, um, conference talks for sure, in my mind, fit under the, the broad umbrella of content marketing, even though, uh, unless it just happens to be in your own town and you happen to not be doing something that day and you happen to be ready for it, (laughs) it it had a cost, you know, all these things have a cost. They're just, uh, usually not in terms of dollars. Jonathan, you wanted to say something earlier? Yeah, I, there, I think there are a couple of common threads there. One is that it's free to the receiver. So I, I can't think of a, of anything that I would consider content marketing that I charge for. Yeah, I but it costs their money time. For. I'm being super yeah, yeah, sure, argumentative sure, sure. today. It costs, it costs them their time to read it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Or, or it costs them an email yeah. address. But it's not dollar. It's not a financial transaction. That's like, true. Like, yeah. I like subscribing to something. Yeah, I can't think of a case where there's a financial transaction because that's a sale. It's not mar- like you're past, you're all the way down the funnel. If you made a sale, the content marketing worked. So, you know, and then it, it creates a gray area of like, well, what if I'm getting paid to speak at a conference or give like a private, uh, private event to someone else's customers? That's, it's good marketing for me. I don't know if I'd call it content marketing, but I suppose for the, I'm, I'm guessing for the purposes of this discussion that we could make it a little more concrete by saying some things that definitely are content marketing and that people can most easily engage in as a freelancer to kind of, you know, raise awareness of their expertise and increase their authority to then, like Ruben said, make an eventual sale much easier. 
So like, what are some, what are, what are the, the bread and butter content marketing approaches? There's, so there's, um, I break these down into written and spoken just as a way to, to have some kind of taxonomy. So if you're going to write things, you can write articles on your own site. You can write emails to a list. You can guest post elsewhere. You can, um, you can write things that are, uh, that appear online in the context of somebody else's questions. So you can answer people's questions on places like Quora, Stack Overflow, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You can create infographics. That was <laughs> for several years, the rage in the world of content marketing because, <sighs> because they promise so well, like much. a chart? Yeah, they, they, like, prom- like they, a- <laughs> they promise so much while delivering so little, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, infographics are like, um, you know, we're, we're going it, to, it's a sort of visual treatment. So it usually involves some level of graphic design. And it's something like, um, you know, uh, the enterprise software lifecycle, <laughs> you know, some concept like that. I'm not dismissing that if someone out there has written something like that. I'm, I'm not trying to trivialize it. Uh, for me, what I'm reacting to is that it was all the rage for a while because they uh, they looked at they being people who care about this stuff looked at stats for what got shared and this is one I guess one of my um, things that I'm I'm not super happy about with the world of content marketing the met there's metrics is a problem with content marketing measuring the effectiveness of it is a problem. So one of, so what we do, what we humans do in situations like that, when we want to measure something, but it's hard to measure is we pick the parts that are easy to measure. And because of the tools that are available, what's easy to measure is stuff like how many people shared this article on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, or, um, you know, how many people downloaded this thing like podcasts, great example. You can measure how many people download an episode. You have no idea what happens after they download it. So anyway, um, for this is what I've seen over at least five years in the world of content marketing is the things that are easy to measure are what get focused on. And of the things that are easy to measure, how many times somebody shares something is considered an important metric. Um, I don't think it is because my whole idea about how people attract clients is by becoming specific and narrow. So the whole idea that something would be widely shared is not a particularly relevant metric there, but for if a freelancer, it, right, right. Yeah, but for, if it is, you know, you know for if, Nike it is, but exactly. And, and those are companies that are also investing heavily in content marketing. So a, that's my other kind of gripe about it is that a lot of the advice that freelancers are exposed to about content marketing comes from fortune 500 companies and what works for them doesn't really translate well to us. Anyway, this is getting kind of long-winded. Uh, but in the world of written content marketing, infographics were kind of the rage for a while. Um, in the world of spoken content marketing, there's things like talks that you might do at a meetup or a conference or do online via a webinar. There's uh, you know podcast guesting, hosting. There's in-person training. Um, that maybe if you're getting paid for the training, I would not consider to be content marketing. But if you're doing it for free as a lead generation technique, I would consider it to be a form of content marketing. So anyway, those are just some, I mean, there's, there's dozens I'm sure we could iterate through if we want to develop a complete list here, but hopefully that gives the folks at home a a rough idea of, you know, 
what, what we're talking about in terms of content marketing? I mean, for me, it's definitely, it, you have a uh, much broader, you more experience with it a lot more and a more broad kind of, um, definition for me. It's for me, I, I always kind of pictured it as like something I do to increase my SEO. I blog mm-hmm. and increase my SEO the, to me. That's like the, that's kind of like when I first heard of content marketing and that's the last time I really thought about it. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like narrowly positioned in my mind as blogging sure. to increase SEO. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I don't care about SEO. So, because I know where to find my audience, I don't have to like worry about my ranking in Google uh, that much because I think that, well, we could get into that, but I just don't care about it. It, To me, it's a total vanity metric and it's like you waste a ton of time trying to, if you're worrying about that a lot, you just waste a lot of time being fighting with other people in the, the top 10 or hopefully you're at least on the front page for something, but does that translate into sales? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on what, you know, if you sell jackknives, okay, sure. It probably does. But if you're selling a high touch services, maybe it does, but are they really Googling for you? Not in my case, they're Googling for my name. So they already know me from something and it's almost certainly a webinar or a screencast or a slide share or like some other like the top of my funnel is not SEO. So I, I was like, um, I blogged for a while. I never found it useful whatsoever. So I just sort of stopped and focused on more speaking ones. It's interesting to me that you broke them down in those two categories because my experience is people are usually much more comfortable with one or the other. Mm-hmm. And that's why, uh, I do, that's why I do it is at least when I'm working with people to help them with their marketing they have to choose something that matches their personality and their comfort level. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you. No, that's right. So, so, but okay. So the thing that, that I do do that I think you characterize as content marketing, I don't, it doesn't feel like it to me is my email list. It doesn't feel like content marketing to me because, and, and I'm just, I'm sure you're right. That probably does fall into that category because it's in exchange for your email address. You can get access to what otherwise probably would be a blog, but something about my old definition of content marketing being an SEO play kind of holds me back from, from feeling that way because it doesn't, there's nothing to Google. It's not indexable. It's not indexed. It's not searchable. You're either on the list or you're not. So it's, it feels a little bit more like a community to me than content marketing, even though it has the same effect, but you know, perhaps we're just, just sort I think, of splitting I think that, hairs. No, I, I, I think that's actually a hugely important distinction so much so that I did my own content marketing about this. <laughs> I did a, <laughs> a, a little short 30 minute presentation about this topic and I, I lost the video. I guess I need, means I need to redo the presentation. So in the trickle down from, let's say, you know, the really huge companies that make use of content marketing, the Fortune 500 or whatever, in the trickle down from how they view content marketing, which is a traffic generation strategy most of the time, is how they view it. How, how I view it is as a, a way to demonstrate expertise and in the context of marketing a product or service, it's a way to build desire, it's a way to help uh, potentially educate 
prospects more about the service or product. And often it's, it's, it's just seamlessly combined with some kind of direct response advertising where you're asking for the sale or asking mm-hmm. for some next step in that trickle down from our use case for content marketing. If I try to use content marketing to generate traffic, I'm going to pursue a distinctly different approach to it than you have on your email list, Jonathan. And so mm-hmm. that's, I think it is a big distinction. Like if you think of content marketing as I'm going to get a massive influx of free traffic to my website that I did not earn myself, the content did it for me by being content that people are searching for and sharing. Then I think you're going to have a very, uh, a very frustrating experience with content marketing because you're always going to yeah. be chasing that big hit. And if you don't get it, you're going to be like, well, crap, I've been blogging regularly for six months now and it hasn't really moved the needle. And I think that's maybe a place we can take this discussion is how, how might you do that otherwise so you get better so, results. Mm-hmm. So, so it's interesting you say that because like we had someone on the show a few years ago, I wish you remember who it was, who said, basically, if you blog every day for a year, then you're going to have so many people following you and so much authority that like it'll be amazing. And people will be just sort of falling over themselves to hire you. So um, I think that summer I spent like two months, maybe three months blogging almost every day. And it was good stuff. Like I still refer back to them and you know, it didn't get that much traction. It's sort of, and I, and so I realized that first of all, you sort of, you need a big audience already to get, the amplification, right? If you blog every day to a hundred people following you, then that'll go nowhere. So, um, and the second thing is you have to blog about things or write about things that people get excited about and people say, wow, I really want to share this with other people. Um, so I've tried to be a little more, I would say more certainly strategic about the topics that I cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that it'll be things that first of all, Often it'll be topics that people ask me in my courses. And if they're asking me there, then I'm pretty sure that someone outside is going to be interested in it. But the second and sort of more important thing is I've managed to hook into a few amplification systems to get way beyond my audience. So, for example, um, there are, it's at least in the programming world, I'm not sure if it's true elsewhere, although I'll get to that in a moment, um, there are all these planet websites and so you have Planet Python and Planet mm-hmm. Postgres and Planet JavaScript. And so I managed to get my blog listed in the Planet Python thing. So every time I blog about Python, it's seen by 8,000, 10,000 people who don't subscribe to my blog, but they are interested in Python. And so they see my thing. And so they'll come and they'll see it and they'll share it and they'll sign up if I have something to sign up for. So that's been extremely useful. The other sort of related thing is um, I also tried to then submit it to newsletters. So there are, for example, a few Python newsletters. And whenever I have a blog post that I think could be really popular and interesting, I email them and I say, hey, this should be in your newsletter. And let's say there are three Python newsletters. Usually one or two of them will include it. But that's enough because when they come out on Wednesday or Thursday, I see this surge of people coming to my site. And then it's reposted elsewhere. And then people sign up for my mailing list and so forth. So by being strategic in that sense of, right, I want to get people to hire me to do Python training and I have Python products. So I write about Python and I go to the places where Python people hang out. And it's this nice synergy that then gets me more subscribers, which I must admit, I haven't measured how much that leads to in terms of revenue. But that's because I'm sort of leading up to that down the line. That's fantastic. 
you know, the thing that I notice about that is you've taken control of to uh, to a greater extent than you would think you have to. You've taken control of earning your own traffic for that content. That's that's, again, one of the things about the sort of big company model for content marketing is they're looking at how can I. I don't want to say trick Google into sending me traffic, but how can I work with what I, what we know about the Google search algorithm for ranking content and create content that will do well in that world? And that's the exact opposite way how of how someone who has valuable expertise should be acting. <laughs> you know, it, totally they should, agree. They should not be saying, "Well, how can I uh, sort of fit." what I do to match what's trendy or what's algorithmically rewarded by Google. And how can I, um, you know, it's, you just don't do that. If you have real valuable expertise, if you have really valuable expertise, you just behave differently. And I guess I'm coming out as whining a lot, but (laughs) the reason is because I, I had this service called my content Sherpa where I, for about two years, I was really trying to kind of make this work for, for people. And what I realized was I was trying to play the wrong game, I think for my clients. And and the game is sort of chasing search engine rank when that works in your favor. And, and I do have something to share based on a recent dev shop marketing briefing. I did uh, when that works in your favor, it's amazing. It's amazing for somebody to read your blog article on, uh, you know, upgrading from PHP version, whatever to whatever, and then want to hire you to do that. That's that's the dream. I'm just um, what I'm saying, Reuven, for what you brought up earlier about the the guest on on this show who said blog every day for a year is do that and get a time machine that can take you about seven years back and, and you'll have <laughs> something that for sure works because the internet was a lot less a lot less filtered, a lot less um, content was run through Facebook essentially back then. And uh, it was just a sort of quieter, uh, kinder, gentler place back then. (laughs) Yeah, it does seem sort of, when you really, when you think about that, when you think about Facebook and, and the kind of walled garden, even Twitter now I think is, is got, they're messing with the stream. So you're really not sure what, you're going to see, you know, and, and medium just changed this as well. You know, they want their, these sort of walled gardens, if you will, that have their own audience really control it. And I don't know, I'm just, it's like you said, it's the, it's playing the wrong game. If you're actually good at something, like if you are actually an expert and you well, I mean, this is, I'm about to go into a positioning thing where it's like, if you're actually good at something and you know who it helps, it's, it's with the internet. It's really easy to find where those people are, like where they're hanging out, whether it's, you know, whether you find out by going on LinkedIn and just connecting with people that maybe have the job title that is the sort of person who'd be most interested in your services or it's like you said, hanging out in core and answering questions or, or stack overflow or wherever Reddit. And if you are actually good at something, it's so much easier and more rewarding to just go flit around the internet and help people. And they're just like, I don't know, is you don't need to, you can kind of disintermediate Google if you unbelievably, 
you can just go around and help people. And all of a sudden they're like, huh, this guy's really helpful. <laughs> it's like, and he's really good at this thing. You know, it's like doing this show. We're not getting paid. What? what? You, wait, wait, what? Getting... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Reuben, don't tell, don't tell Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I would not, but we'll just the check three ways. <laughs> Busted. Um, yeah. You know, Reuben, one of the things also you mentioned is uh, stuff gets shared. And then, like, that's an amplification factor. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, um, I think about this hilarious uh video that kind of went viral um it was by some it was like uber conference or some similar company did something where they had everybody who would have been on a conference call in the same room except they didn't uh i mean they were like recreating a conference call situation but all the people were in the same room so some people couldn't hear each other <laughs> and just all the shenanigans that happened on a conference call were made funny because everybody was there in person and um, <laughs> that's great you know it got shared a lot it was great but um people share things for different reasons than they hire experts so they you know they share things uh, and some of this comes from again from me being very focused on content marketing for a number of years as like the holy grail of forms of marketing before i had a, a more broad <laughs> inclusive view uh, but also a more nuanced view of how how people like us need to market themselves anyway what i'm saying is uh from from some of the studies i've read about what gets shared uh, i think i can reduce it down to one sentence people share stuff that makes them look good or smart or that increases their social worth in with among their network. And I think that that's a little bit at odds with the idea of creating content that demonstrates your expertise or helps somebody who has a very narrow specific problem that you're well positioned to solve. So, well, I mean, we're if, just if talking they, about if they share it because because like if they share it, it shows that, Oh, I didn't know this before. Well, maybe, or maybe they're just like, they can't imagine anybody else finding that useful, <laughs> right? They just don't know oh, anybody okay. else who has that problem with uh, whatever, you know? Um, so it's, it's just the kind of content that I think works well for aligning with what you're saying about yourself as an expert is not the kind of content that's gonna just get sh shared like wildfire and go viral. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what, what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. 
And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. So if you check them out at the show's link, that's Hired.com slash Freelancer Show, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. But here's the thing. You don't need to go viral. You'd be... I, I was talking to uh, a fellow conference speaker a couple of years ago who had something like 200,000 people on his mailing list. And if I had 200,000 people on my mailing list, I would be like, you know, retired basically. <laughs> he, he, right, like I would never have to work again, but he could not. But so he had this huge, you know, number. So if you're measuring, if you're, if you're measuring, you know, like Philip said before, people measure what's easy to measure, not necessarily what's relevant to measure. You'd be like, this guy must be crushing it, but he wasn't, he could barely make any money because the audience was, I don't want to say it's terrible, but it, it just, there wasn't, it, he, they were, I, I can't come up with, I don't want to say cheap. They, they just didn't see any value that was worth exchanging money for in this person's content. And this guy was like a twice a week blogger, which, which blew my mind at the time. But now that I'm writing emails seven days a week, I'm like, what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was, his big thing was like, yeah, I've got this big list. And I was like, Oh, dude, what are you, what's your secret? And he's like, you just keep showing up and keep doing it. And they, they keep sharing it and you keep climbing up. And I'm like, I'm like, I was kind of like, what are you doing here? Asking us questions. Cause we were all having a conversation. It's like, you must be all set. And he's like, nah, I, you know, I, I, the lifetime value of a list member for him was like in, in pennies. It was nothing. And so that's all spun out of, of somebody like a freelancer who, who at least probably offers one service. You wouldn't call yourself a freelancer if you just did purely products. So you must offer some kind of service going viral does nothing for you. It almost, almost nothing. Like I had a project, I had a sort of weird thing I did a few years back that went viral. And if I had sold t-shirts again, I'd probably be retired, but I didn't, I didn't have any way to capture any of that massive amount of traffic. And it's, you just get overwhelmed. Like you don't, it's like, you don't, it's weird because I feel like, and I think, I think Philip's kind of implying this, if not saying it outright, that people who are looking to, uh, are, are chasing that, like, Oh, I want to go viral type of thing. I think infographics were, like you said, were really big. I think that was their whole reason for being, it's easily shareable format that can, that can go viral. It's like you're chasing the wrong thing. It's, it's just not the right it's the wrong metric. It's the wrong thing to be going after. And really it should be, I think it's a lot safer to just, and, and easier and more under your control, just find someone who needs your help and help them. And, and wow, what do you know? <laughs> it's like person remembers you. They might not share it, but they're, you know, they're going to remember you and they'll probably join your list and then you can have a conversation with them and then they can help you and you can help them and they perhaps get other people to join your list or whatever. But it's not about big numbers. It's really not. It's way more about quality in my humble opinion. I agree. Well, so it, it can be both, but like be better, better, definitely qual quality than quantity. 
Right. You, it, ideally, you would have a huge number of subscribers. I mean, two hundred thousand people on your list, all of whom are interested in value-based pricing. I mean, right, Jonathan? I think like you would be pretty happy with that. I would have. But I'd be able to. I'd be able to put a book at the top of the bestseller list every six months. If I had 200,000 people on my list, like the same list I have, like quality wise, I've got like something like 1500 people right now. If I had 200,000 of the same high quality, highly interactive people, it would be, I'd be just knocking it out of the park left and right. But let's say you were writing on your blog every week, not about value-based pricing or twice a week, but about business and profits and I can, like such vague things. Yeah, you can get to 200,000 people, but when it came time to actually come out with a book or to sell a product of any sort, like a huge proportion of that would be like, eh, what is he talking about? This doesn't speak to me. Yeah, and the audience would be way be too segmented. Yeah, that, that it'd be broken up into way, way too many types of people. Where I mean, honestly, I'm starting to feel like I've I've got two major segments on my list and maybe a couple of, you know, a long tail of others. And I almost want to kind of double down, almost split it into two lists or focus on one in particular and let the other one atrophy. But, you know, and it's two d very different kinds of reader or subscriber that aren't going to want to buy the same things, frankly. So, and, and aren't helped by the same thing. So a certain number of emails they're going to get are just either going to be generic enough to serve both camps or just totally worthless to one. So yeah, I mean, it would be, it would be perhaps, uh, I mean, the human brain's not good at, at understanding like scale, but I think it would actually be impossible for me to have 200,000 people on my list of the type that I currently have. I, I'd be a little bit surprised if that many exist. 200,000 is high. I think you can get to 50,000. Yeah, but, 50, uh, yes. I, I don't yeah, have a lot of examples of lists bigger than that that are also the kind of list you and I are trying to run, Jonathan. Yeah, I can think of, you know, I can think of a couple that are 30 to 50,000 that I could imagine getting there, Yeah, but not 200. It's it's incomprehensible. But I think even at 50,000, you could, you know, you, you could <laughs> yeah. make uh, a wonderful living. Yeah, so, I'll try. Here, here's why, like, let me kind of move us to the next part of this conversation. Here's why we spent all this time complaining about content marketing, or I did, because for a, for a select number of, that's the wrong way to say it. Um, for, for a subset of the world of freelancers, it is, I think, probably indispensable for finding your clients. So th that's really what I was secretly trying to do here was kind of set up this feeling of like, well, crap, Philip, <laughs> if, if content marketing doesn't work, what do you recommend? Um, so it, it's not that I think it's a, it's a bad tool. I just think it's easy to use it wrong. And the people who need content marketing are those experts where their clients really do have to find them. They can't go out and find their clients. So in the world of medicine, it, when you're afflicted with some rare disease, you you have to go in search of the specialist who will, who can help. Or, I mean, maybe you get referred to that specialist, but still they don't just call you the, you know, the day after your diagnosis. Right. And I think there's certain sort of business diseases that work like that too. And the business will be motivated to go out and find a solution. I, I spoke to a guy like that. His name's Frank Rietta. And, uh, 
he was a guest expert on my most recent dev shop marketing briefing. Frank's a ra- is the business disease that he focuses on <laughs> to use this analogy, stretch it a little bit further is uh, rails security. So I think he's not the only person who has that focus, but he's built up through content marketing, enough credibility, enough of a sort of online footprint that he you know, functionally is one of the go-to people for rail security. And so for him, I was very interested in speaking with him and having him speak to my audience. Um, these dev shop marketing briefings are like little webinars that I do once, once a month. They're little in that they only, the only people who get invited are people on my list, but they're not little in terms of their awesomeness. Um, anyway, Frank kind of shared his, <laughs> his experience using content marketing and I think I can pull a few points out of that to kind of feed into our, the rest of the discussion for this. One of the perennial questions that comes up when you are the right kind of person to use content marketing is, okay, what do I write about? If I'm going to invest time and energy and effort in, into creating content, there's a couple things that are true. You can't just do it like once and write one blog article and say, okay, you know, I'm done. That, that was That was great. Now, um, I, I'm, I'm expecting a flood of prospects to come through the door and want to hire me. It just doesn't work that way. There's a sort of, um, and I think, I think Frank would agree to this. There's a sort of, um, you want to try a number of different things. You kind of want to hedge your bets by writing about a mix of business topics. You know, what's the cost of, of a rail security breach? Um, how do you know if your team is doing enough to secure rails? Like thinking about things from the perspective of someone who is a manager or is responsible for a profit and loss sheet or has some kind of, um, you know, responsibility to, to the business itself rather than just to the job description that they have. So you want to have some content for them and some content that just is sort of, I think of it like a lint roller, <laughs> you know, it just picks up the, the lint of search traffic. So people are searching for, you know, how do you secure rails or how do you secure this component of rails or a lot of how to focus content. And you don't want to do, do just one or the other. The, the mistake I see beginning freelancers make when they, uh, tackle content marketing for the first time is they're writing stuff that could not possibly interest um, a real buyer who's you know trying to hire services, and they're unlikely to interest somebody kind of in the middle of the hierarchy in terms of the technical infrastructure of the organization. They're not going to interest a uh, a tech lead because you know beginning freelancers are at least in the develop software development world writing. Uh, kind of forgettable content sometimes like um, you know how to set up your development environment or just excessively tactical stuff. So one of my takeaways from, you know, hearing Frank talk about his success story is he, it's okay to, to have that mix of content because you're sort of hedging your bets and sort of covering a number of bases. Ruben, it sounds like that's what you do to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely sort of um, putting on content, which is how to try to answer questions that I figure are going to be popular. 
Um, sometimes I'll actually skim through Stack Overflow on topics that I want to learn about or maybe come up in, in my classes so that I can find something that is really painful for a lot of people, right? If I see a, f a few questions that are similar, they get a lot of reads or get a lot of upvotes or comments. I'm like, oh, this affects a lot of people. And I actually have one or two posts on my blog that are referenced from Stack Overflow as, oh, you should read this as something to keep in mind. And that drives a ton of traffic to my blog. But I will also mention that despite my blogging for a while and despite my having Having my newsletter for a while, especially like I've been doing weekly content on now, I think for like 25, 30 weeks, something like that. And I put it at the bottom of almost every message. Hey, you want me to come to your company and do some training? I'd be happy to just email me. No one has done so, which means that maybe I'm improving my authority. Like I definitely think that this has led to some companies calling me up in Israel and asking me to do training, even though my real goal is companies in Europe and in the US because they pay much more. Um, and if you're from such a company, you did not hear that. So, um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, um, I, I think that the actual audience I'm building online is not the corporate training audience. It's a totally different one of the individuals who will hopefully be interested in the products that I'm selling. So it, it's not helping in the same way as your real security guy got, where by putting up quality content that addressed people's problems, he got his clients to contact him. Uh, or he like flagged himself as a good expert on that. I'm getting that, but for whatever reason, the companies aren't aren't flocking my way. Um, I mean, I'm doing okay. No one needs to worry, right? But like, um, it's it's definitely had a different effect than I expected. Similar, I would say, by the way, to the fact that I've been writing my Linux Journal column for about 20 years now, just about every month, and almost no clients have come to me through that. Um, it, individuals on occasion will write to me, but it's it's a different sort of audience. So if you're interested in getting those corporate clients, you really need to think about what's interesting to them and what's gonna what are they gonna be reading and what are they gonna respond to, or if they even read stuff like that at all. Yeah, exactly. Well, the CEO won't, right? Like, and you guys right. often talk about how if you want to make the most money, you should not be talking to the individual developers. You should be talking higher up the value chain where they control budgets and they can see the big picture. And um, so it's funny, actually, I've been play playing with uh, some Facebook advertising for my regular expressions crash course that then leads people into my list. And um, at first I was advertising on Facebook to CTOs and architects and CEO founders. Um, and that actually worked for, you know, for a short period of time. But there's this, like this fuse on Facebook ads that I've been discovering that after a little while they just sort of fizzle out. Um, but I was sort of hoping, oh, well, if those people are contacting me, they'll show my stuff to their teams and then maybe they'll invite me. But that hasn't happened yet either. I mean, I, I've seen evidence of it working both ways, which is why I guess to give away the punchline here, when you, when you talk to smart people about content marketing, smart people who don't have to have something to sell you about content marketing, they will essentially say it depends. Like I've, uh, Jonathan, I remember you telling me. <laughs> you would get hired uh, to do training when you were doing more sort of on-site mobile training. And mm -hmm. it would go like this. It would be like the developers would recommend you to the person who made the decision because they're the ones who had your book on the desk, on their desk. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's it, very technical. Right. Yeah, it would kind of go up the, up the uh, organizational hierarchy. Uh, I think there's other times where you don't have a chance unless you are speaking to a VP or above. So mm -hmm. I've seen it go both ways with content marketing. Right. 
like if I was going to do content marketing for my mobile business now with mobile strategy, the home run would be if I could get an article published in like Harvard business review, not blogging, you know? Oh, that's a really good distinction. Mm-hmm. The people you want to address, those CEOs and VPs, they're reading Harvard Business Review. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it looks real different if your business is, I need um, four leads, I need two of those to close, and then I've got enough for the next two years. Like, that's yeah, exactly. that's one wonderful kind of business. There's a whole other wonderful kind of business that looks a lot more like WP Curve, where they're like, we need X thousand of uh, clients who to pay us 40 bucks a month or whatever they're you know, price point is both can use content marketing, but yeah. Um, and, and I, and you know, that Harvard business review article, I would call it content marketing too. Maybe I'm, my terminology is too broad to be useful, but no, I definitely, I would definitely call that content marketing. Definitely. And, it, and that would be worth sinking, um, not six months of full-time effort, but let's say, I don't know, three, four hours a week for six months. That'd totally be worth it for you, for your business. If I could, yeah. If I could pay someone $10,000 to put my article in HBR, I would do it. Yeah. To guarantee that. I would make that back. No problem. Yep. But you can't, that's kind of why it's good. (laughs) So maybe you can, maybe there's a, maybe there's a Harvard business review placement person in the audience that can call me up and work something out. No, but that's, but that's the thing you, you, it's kind of like being a TED speaker. You don't just show up and say, Hey, let me in. And that would be another, that would be another home run for me. I, I'm not doing any more conferences unless TED calls, which they won't because it, you know, unless I do something world changing already. So it, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a chicken or egg problem, but if you hustle, like you said, if I spent a couple hours a week, researching, you know, who's gotten in there before, maybe reaching out to people, maybe reaching out to those people and saying, Hey, do you think I'd be a good fit? Could you introduce me? You know, doing the whole outreach thing. It's probably, uh, I, maybe I'm just being optimistic, but I bet you I could do that. I believe I have something to say to that audience and that would be valuable. And I believe I could convince someone who's in charge of the editorial process to agree with me. Uh, probably should do that. In fact, but it's, you know, my buyer is not, when I was doing more training, yes, it, it, like the, the word could travel up the vine from the people that, you know, the, the coffee stained wretches typing semicolons up to the, the people who are in control of the budget to bring in trainers because the people who, you know, they didn't, they wouldn't know the, the buyers wouldn't know where to even begin looking. So they'd ask their own staff who should we get to come in and train you? Who would you guys or gals pick? But that's not, you know, when you're doing strategy work, it doesn't work like that. Right. So I take advantage of that also. And like on purpose in a sneaky long-term way, which is basically I put everyone I can on my LinkedIn list. Like when I train and I know then that like, and when I have new blog posts or other such things, they go up on LinkedIn. And I know that, this means that maybe it's just out of the corner of their eyes, but the people I've met doing training who have been in my courses and associated with them are then sort of kind of, they, they know that I'm still doing it, which means, and, and we know that in high tech, a lot of people switch jobs every year or two. Um, and so my feeling is, okay, when someone switches to a new job, they'll remember me more easily because they see that I'm still doing stuff. I'll be fresh air in their mind. You should actually, I would even 
put a little note in my calendar to check periodically or set up an alert when you have a uh, a past buyer, you see them move to a new company to email them and say, Hey, I see you moved to this new company. And I know you really enjoyed the Python training we did at your old company. Wow. That is so fantastic. That's easy and smart. I love that. Um, <laughs> that that's what they but, call like, I know, but I know that it works, right? Like, cause I mean, just last week, two weeks ago, I got a call from, uh, like a big company um, and the guy said, oh yeah, you did training at my previous company and I switched jobs and my boss asked who does training. And so I figured we'd call you. So there's like staying in people's minds as like, I'm the Python training guy for a lot of people. And it doesn't matter if I do other things, right? I think that's one of the things that Philip is often saying that, right, the, the niche marketing or, right, you know, positioning yourself, it doesn't mean you're not doing other stuff. You just want to stand out in people's minds as the person who fixes this problem. So when they have that problem, they immediately call you. Um, and so for some population, that's me and that's working out fantastically. Well, Jonathan, I guess you just earned your 33% of the, the show revenue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yes. <clears throat> that and five bucks. Buy me <laughs> so here's what I'm noticing thus far. Anybody, anyone who's had success with content marketing, I think can, A, has either been lucky. And I've talked to people like that. I talked to a, a software development shop, um, up in the Northeast somewhere who they published some article some years ago on upgrading from PHP version, whatever to the next version. And they get business from that article, um, regularly more than once. I, if, if they're listening, I, I hope you guys are still getting business from that article. And I don't mean the next thing that I'm going to say as, as a, you know, as, a, as an insult or anything, it's just, that's luck. That's, that's not a success that came out of, well, you know, we planned it this way and it worked exactly how we wanted it to. That's, that's essentially luck. And people who have that kind of luck with content marketing tend to produce more content marketing about how awesome the content marketing that they got lucky on was. I think for it to be a repeatable process, you have to understand the buying process by which your services are bought. And, you know, Jonathan is gave an example of that with, with the training that he used to sell and, uh, Reuven, same thing. It's like, you understand, you, you can see the entire chain of events. It doesn't necessarily work every time. It doesn't work the same way every time, but most of the time you can see that, right? Am I, am I right about that? The, oh, yeah. cha the chain of events from yeah. you publish this content to somebody becomes a client. Yeah. Okay. With, with me, it's it's a longer thing because it's like I, again, I've got these two audiences. But as a general, yeah, yeah, I totally believe it. I buy it. I have two. Like for for high end clients, I basically had two content marketing. You didn't want to call it a funnel. It was just like a just it was like a one tier funnel where I would either it would, I'd be at a conference, I would walk off the stage, and someone would tackle me and say, you, "We have to hire you right now." Or it was someone who bought my book and it, you know, is the scenario we already described where they handed it up the chain or somebody up the chain was looking for a trainer. And so they would, they'd call me. So like the technical team was stuck. They needed training or they had a specific problem that needed to be fixed and they couldn't figure it out or they wanted to know if something they wanted to do was feasible. That was another thing that used to happen. They'd be like, is it possible to have our entire website be offline on people's iPhones, stuff like that. And you know, so 
uh, it was really those two things. And I would almost throw myself in with luck cause I didn't have any, I didn't really looking back on it. It's like very little control, which is a horrible feeling. So like if you have a slow year, like what do you do right now? Like crank out a book real quick. It doesn't work. So it was a little bit, a little bit scary. Those are definitely my only two. Those are the only two ways I got clients. That was it. Yeah. My, I mean, my general advice around content marketing is if you can't uh, picture that chain of events, if it doesn't seem plausible or if you don't have any evidence that it's going to work that way, there's probably other uh, ways of marketing yourself that you should invest in unless you're just really confident in that you say so you have some kind of narrow focus, you solve some sort of rare business disease. <laughs> That's becoming my favorite analogy for people who yeah, focus on that. an expensive problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, you have evidence that that disease is out there, that people are, are, are willing to pay for a, a, a remedy to it. Then you might speculatively do some content marketing where you don't know exactly how it's going to work. You just know there's demand. You know that you have some credibility as an expert. It's not that nobody should do content marketing, but I think other things are more of a repeatable, surefire way to find clients than uh, I'm going to write some blog articles about how I set up my development environment. Yeah. I mean, compare that to outreach. Yeah. I mean, got, oh, go ahead. I mean, it's, there's no comparison. Yeah. It's like people, people are tend to be, well, not everybody. Some people tend to feel uncomfortable with outreach, but if you, if you have the, the same thing that I think is going to make your content marketing any good, which would be focus is going to make your outreach amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and it can happen super fast, like in a week, you know, you email a bunch of people and say, Hey, you know, let's say you're specialized in, in rail security. You could email, you could probably come up with a list of people who, you know, or are that, you know, use rails, or you could do something using online tools to find out who's using rails or whether using them, or maybe if they're potentially even have, have the business disease. Sometimes you can notice these business diseases publicly. Like in, in my case, I can easily go to an app store and look at credit unions who have one star on their app. Like, okay, I could probably email those people and be like, did you spend like six figures on an app that your customers hate? We should probably talk, you know, it, like I, what am I going to do blog about it for six months and hope that company calls it. Why they're right there. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that for someone who just is like, has some kind of um, wellspring of desire to write building up inside and they need an outlet for that, that exact situation, Jonathan, I would just say, you throw together a landing page at, you know, better credit union apps.com or, you know, some domain that's right. easy to acquire and mm -hmm. then have an email course there. If, if you're just dying to write about it, do it that way. Combine the outreach where you're, you're earning your own traffic and it's hopefully qualified, well-qualified traffic and, you know, do exactly what you said, just in the signature of your email, have a link to that course. Yeah, and, totally and, agree. And use that to satiate your desire for content marketing. Um, until you get a little further down the road and then there's, there's other reasons you might use it. You might use it because now you're getting leads. They just take two years to turn into a project. And in the meantime, it would be valuable to build 
a trust with those leads for you to use some content, then you can start. But, but that's a whole different thing than we're talking about. Again, the sort of fortune 500 model is you're going to use content to generate traffic, which is going to magically turn into um, something. <laughs> My model is you're going to generate your own traffic either through outreach or uh, doing webinars or something like that. And then you're going to use content in the middle of the funnel to build a relationship with that people who've opted into your email list. Do you consider the term, uh, do you consider the term educational content marketing, a subset of content marketing or is it just sort of redundant? I don't know that it's a useful distinction. I find that I can, um, you know, build a, a relationship that turns into money through entertainment without using a lot of education. So I, I don't think it's a super, it's, it's not like a whole different category that has some kind of special power. It's, uh, it's just a, an approach that can work or not work within the context of a larger plan. Mm, okay. Uh, that said, uh, I guess, you know, for folks who are, maybe this is the first time they're really thinking about content marketing. That's definitely one of the hallmarks of content marketing was originally it was like teach people for free and, good things will happen for your business. And there's enough times that that happens that I can't say it's not true. It's just, I think it would be good to, for most people to add a little bit of strategic planning to that. Um, but yeah, most content marketing tends to be educational or I guess we should link to that uh, conference call in real life video. Uh, that's pure entertainment, but it, you know, it has a sort of similar effect of like, gosh, you put this together and maybe I should, you know, learn some more about them. It does create curiosity yeah. to learn more. It doesn't. I mean, I've seen that video a hundred times and I have no idea who posted it. Maybe that's just me speaking as a, as a practitioner of marketing. It, it made me curious, but you're right. I might not be representative there. Yeah. So I, I want to, I think we should head into picks in a few minutes, but I just want to get your takes on, on this. Let's say someone is new starting up their freelancing business and just trying to sort of jumpstart it what sort of content marketing should they do and how should they decide which topics they should, you know, they, they, they should go with. Well, um, again, I, I think they should, I think they should have a default position of content marketing is not going to work for me unless a, I get lucky or B I have a plan for generating my own traffic or demand to see that content marketing which changes everything about how you do it. So again, if you're one of those, I'm going to say 10 or 20% of, of freelancers who focus on a specific business disease, then I think you can kind of just plow into content marketing and, and think about like, here's how I would think about topic selection. Let's say you wanted to write the missing manual for solving, for curing the business disease that you're focused on. Outline that in, in whatever detail you need to break it up into multiple parts and write an article. Really, it's like writing a book that you're going to publish online for free as a series of, of blog articles. It probably means you need to not publish it so it looks like a blog, but instead give it some kind of attractive index and make it easy to navigate. I would say do that if you're in that 20% of people who are, you know, specialized business disease solvers. <laughs> if you're someone who just needs more uh, leads and, and you don't have that level of specialization, I would look at other 
uh, ways to get those leads before you consider content marketing. I, I think that's about as simple as I can make it personally. What, what do you guys think? Totally agree that it's a waste to put all that effort into content marketing if you have not picked a niche. Because if you, the, the thing, I used to blog like whatever interested me that week, I would blog about. And if you go back and look at it, it's just a flea market of it's almost like psychopathically unrelated seeming ideas. So of course it never, you know, I wasn't really doing it thinking I was going to, it was mostly for me blogging so that later I could Google for an answer that I already found that I forgot I found. Uh, but that's the thing that I see people do a lot of times is they just, they're just like blog about whatever interests them that day. And it's a complete waste. And the, the thing that the thing, maybe not complete, but it's pretty close. The thing that is surprising and that you don't know before niching down on a particular area of expertise is how quickly you can, you can amass a really high quality body of work that makes sense. Like no matter what piece somebody finds initially, or maybe, maybe you share it with them directly or, or, or whatever, they find it in a search, all of a sudden they're in this web of relevant content because the thing that you are an expert on and the thing that you are blogging about or sharing is of interest to them. Therefore, all of your stuff's going to be of interest to them and to not to just sort of pile on like until you, until you have, you've got that sort of not to sound too cheesy, but like your mission in life or like what you're going to be when you grow up or like the thing that you're super focused on, you just love it. The kind of thing that you can just, somebody can say, Oh, what are you? And you'd be like, oh, I do this. If you answer differently, every time somebody asks you what you do, if you answer differently, depending on who you're talking to, you're not really probably ready to do content marketing and should probably just do outreach or other clever things to get traffic or get, get leads, I should say. Anyway, totally agreeing. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Ruby. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got Ruby Rogues all day? Well, you can, kind of. We moved our Ruby Rogues Parlay forum to Slack. That means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at rubyrogues.com slash parlay. That's rubyrogues.com slash P-A-R-L-E-Y. Excellent. I don't really have anything to, uh, to add on this. So I think we'll just uh, head into picks now. All right, guys? Sounds good. Yes. Jonathan, what you got for us this week? Well, speaking of missions, as everyone probably knows, my mission in life is to rid the earth of hourly billing. If you are freelancing by the hour, you should check out valuepricingbootcamp.com and get a uh, my content marketing about that subject, which is a, a free five-day email course about breaking the uh, habit of trading time for money so that you can actually increase your profits. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, I think that's it for me this week. Philip, I'm going to point out a couple of resources I've <clears throat> published on this one. I've 
I mean, I've promoted all these before in various forms here, but just reminders for folks. If, if you go to trustvelocity.com, you'll see a big list of 46 things, activities that you can do to generate leads that have a varying ability to build trust in the process of generating the lead. And there's, there's quite a few content marketing related <clears throat> activities on there. So that may be useful for people to look at as they're, if, if we haven't dissuaded you <laughs> from content marketing, it might be a, a sort of useful resource to help you think through how you would approach that. Two other things are related to this monthly webinar series that I host called Dev Shop Marketing Briefings. Sometimes I'll give a presentation on some topic. Sounds like I need to go back and <laughs> re-record my presentation on content marketing. Um, and what's interesting about these is I try to keep the presentation short and allow plenty of time for Q&A. So for folks that attend, I think it's a little bit like getting group consulting from an expert. So I'll post a link to those in the show notes. Uncharacteristically for myself, I don't have a fancy uh, vanity domain name I can give you that'll resolve to the link. And I'll post a link to just the index of all of them. One of the things I've done is set up a podcast feed so you can just hook into the podcast feed and get audio of those whenever they get published. And then I'll link one to one specifically, the one I mentioned with Frank Rietta, who talked about his success story with content marketing, which I think is largely replicable if your business looks like his, where you have this very focused expertise, where you solve a particular business disease. So those are my picks for this week. Great. And by the way, I love that solving particular business disease phrase. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I may still, you could say it's viral. I just so, made that up. Okay. Yeah, guess, <laughs> curing a business disease, I guess would be the way to curing, say curing that. Yep. <laughs> All right. So I've got uh, two picks for this week. One is an email course that I set up and talking about like solving very specific niche problems. So people who are doing data science with Python, have to use a technique known as Boolean indexing to retrieve their data. And this was something I just saw people over and over again, um, like stumbling over in my courses. So I put together an email course on Boolean indexing. And it is a 15-part email course, making me look like a fool or someone who doesn't know when to stop writing, or both. In any event, <laughs> um, a, lot of, a lot of people uh, have signed up already in the last uh, 24 hours since I announced it. Um, by the time you hear this, that'll be much longer. But uh, I put the link in the show notes. So if you're a data scientist or want to be or, or want to pretend to be one, then uh, this might be interesting. The other thing is a book that I'm uh, reading now called Training from the Back of the Room, 65 Ways to Step Aside and Let Them Learn. And I must say, um, you know, I've got a PhD in education and I've been training for a while. I was like, what could they really suggest to me? I know that I should have my people do more of their own sort of things. And already, like, I've gotten a few ideas I'm going to try out in the next course that I do. Um, because I think that they, I mean, there's some things that I just can't do in my courses that they're suggesting, but a few of them are really clever and uh, force people to interact more and to talk more and express themselves more. Um, and I think it really improve the quality as well, just sort of get people up and about instead of sitting around trying to listen to me all day. So, uh, so here I'm going to put in the show notes here, links to that as well. And um, hopefully some more, many of you can enjoy that. Reuven, anyway, it, that wraps it up. For, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I wanted to ask about that, Reuven. Is that a, uh, would you recommend paper or Kindle for that? I'm seeing there's two versions. And sometimes with books like that, I know there's often a big difference. You know, 
I, I actually got it on paper. And I cannot imagine it makes that big of a difference because I think in the case of this book, this might have been one of those books that says you should only get on paper and not on Kindle. And uh, usually I'm very skeptical about that. And if that was the case for this book, I would be skeptical too. It's, I think, a lot of very clever ideas in the book. Um, I'm not actually, like, contrary to what you would expect for such a book where they give you lots of things to do. Um, so I'm actually ignoring all those things. I'm just trying to sort of read through it to get ideas of how to change around my training. Um, how it should look and how it should work. Um, and so some of the things they list in there, I, I would say if you read it just for the ideas, it does not matter. Kindle is just fine. Cool. But um, definitely an interesting book. And I see that the same authors have written a few other books. And if I can get even like five great ideas from each of the books, it's more than worth uh, what, what I paid for it. Books are the best deal going. Especially ours. Dear <laughs> right <laughs> all right well i think that uh brings us to the close of this episode of the freelancer show philip jonathan thanks both of you for joining me here thanks to all of you for listening out there and we will be back next week bye bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit dot com to learn more